and welcome to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Um, excited to have you guys be a part of it uh, this morning. Um, you know, the Bible's filled with great stories that sometimes you could read read them quickly and miss some of the depth to it, but even at times, some of the, the comical elements of it. Um, there, there's parts where I kind of, when I imagine what it would look like or, you know, to be able to be there or witness it, I can't help but laugh sometimes because it's sad almost. It's almost, it's, it's just kind of blows your mind. So here's a great example of that. Uh, in Mark chapter eight, there's, there's Jesus and his disciples. And for the first time, he begins to pour out to them what's going to happen to him. And he begins to share with them, you know, the, the, the Messiah, the son of God is going to suffer many things. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be uh, crucified and he's going to die. And he's, he's sharing all this stuff. And you can imagine the weight that this is on Jesus's shoulders. And so, but he's got these confidants, he's got these friends. And so he's kind of sharing with them. And this is the moment where Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. And he says, almost in effect, like, all right, listen, Jesus, no more negative self-talk. All right. You got to think positive here. I don't want to hear that from you anymore, big guy. You understand? And he's rebuking Jesus over this. Well, next chapter, Mark chapter nine, Jesus, again, he begins to reveal and share, guys, this is what's going to happen to me. And I'm, you know, the emotional aspect of it. And he's sharing all this. And, and this time the disciples are all kind of looking at one another and they're, do, do you know what he's talking about? I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you? No, I have no clue. Well, should, should we ask him? You ask him. No, you ask him. Like they don't want to ask anything. And then one guy says, I got a question. Jesus Who's the greatest of us? I mean, really now, like, let's like, who's your favorite? I mean, I know I'm sure it's me, but can you tell these guys? Like he's pouring out his heart and their answer is, or question is, which of us is the greatest? Next chapter, Mark 10, third time, Jesus pours out his heart. I'm going to suffer these things. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried and rise again. And this time, only James and John say, hey, can we sit on your left and right hand in heaven? Like, can we be your number one and two guy? Like their focus is completely missing what Jesus is saying. And it's all about them. Well, contrast that now to Luke chapter 10. And that's the famous story of Mary and Martha. And Martha's in the kitchen. But let's focus on Mary. Because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what's she doing? She's listening. Right? Jesus, she's chosen the one thing that was necessary. She was listening at the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was sharing. We don't know exactly what he was saying. That part's not shared or, or recorded for us in scripture. But I'm sure that wasn't the only thing, only time that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening. But I suspect that Jesus was sharing, if not in Luke chapter 10, but at other times, and about what was going to happen to him, that he's going to go to the cross. He was going to suffer many things. He was going to die and be, you know, be buried. All those things he was sharing. And Mary heard it. Now, how do I know that? Well, in Mark chapter 14, we read the famous story of the woman in the alabaster oil, the alabaster jar, that very expensive jar. And John tells us in his gospel that that, Mary, that, that woman was Mary. 
And it, and it says that she, she broke the jar and she anointed Jesus with the, the fragrances, the oils in the jar as a way to prepare him for his burial. See, she was, she was listening. She knew what was going on. And so she could be a part of what Jesus was doing. Now, how big of a deal is this? Well, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be shared in her honor. All it took was listening to her, to Jesus. Or here's another great one. In, in the book of Isaiah, chapter six, there's, there's God and he's got his divine counsel, is these angels, and he's, he's speaking to them about what's going on in the state of the world and, and all these different nations and Israel as well. And then he says, who shall we send? Who shall go and speak for us? And Isaiah famously in chapter six says, I will go, send me. Well, it's easy to miss for Isaiah to say, send me. What did he have to do before? He had to listen. He'd be paying attention. And so we're in our study of Abraham and we've been going through chapter 17 and 18 and particularly in 18 where, where God is in physical form. He's standing with Abraham and he's speaking to Abraham and he, he's talked to him about what's going to happen with Sarah and Isaac and the birth. And, and now we're going to see as we go into chapter 18, now he's going to speak to him about Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth. But there's a conversation, a back and forth between Abraham and his God, our God. And, and I thought... It would be good or important for us to not just skip past the significance of this, but to be able to, to recognize the significance that God spoke to Abraham and Abraham spoke to God. And, and this is a story that isn't just about the fathers of our faith. It's not just, well, that was thousands of years ago. That was in the Old Testament. Things are different today. no. I don't think so. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. And he still wants to speak to us today. So I thought this morning what we could do is spend some time focusing on what does it mean to commune with God? What does it mean to communicate with him? To, to talk with him, but more importantly, to listen to him. Uh, because that, that I think is so critical, as we're going to see, to what it means to experience live the Christian life. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we, we, we're so grateful for you and what you've done and you've made this possible. Because of your work on the cross, we get to be your church. We get to be part of your body. And, and now, Lord, we wanna hear from you. Not just in this, you know, this morning as we, as we go over this message that you've prepared, but we wanna learn to hear from you each day, moment by moment. Uh, not just to be useful to you, but more importantly, to experience the beauty and the wonder of relationship with you. And so Lord, speak through me, uh, but more importantly, take your word, take your truth and make it real to each and every one of us so that we might experience you and your life in much greater ways. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I, I grew up in a faith tradition that uh, largely discouraged the idea that God would speak to you outside of the scriptures. They, they would never come out and say that God couldn't do that or he wouldn't do that. that. That would put too much of a shackle on God, but it was very clear that he doesn't do it. 
right? He could, but he, he's not going to because instead he's given us the scripture. He's given us his word and there's nothing else he needed to say. It's finished. It's right there. And so that's all we, we need to do. Um, and I understand the concern there because the concern was that people would hear things that may not line up with scripture. And that they would hear things that God didn't actually say, and they would follow that path. And so trying to guard against that, that thinking, they just discouraged everything. But that's sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater in this case here. You're missing out on this incredible opportunity to connect and hear from God. And so if we look at scripture, we see a constant pattern of what God's really wanting to do. Go back to the garden. What would happen every day in the cool of the day? God would show up and he would walk with Adam and Eve and he would talk with Adam and Eve or Enoch, one of my heroes. I can't wait to meet Enoch in heaven, right? Where he and God would walk together. They'd go on long walks and I'm pretty sure it wasn't silent and they would talk with each other. And, and as the old you know, joke goes, they walked so long that God turned to Enoch and said, you know, my house is closer than yours. Why don't you come home then with me? Right? And so Enoch walked and then he was not, right? Or, or then you've got... You've got Moses. And Exodus 33 says it so beautifully. Like I'm, I'm jealous in a godly way of what Moses had. Because it says that Moses talked to God face to face as one would talk to a friend. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing to me. And so in Psalm 103, it says that he made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. There's a difference there. See, Israel, they were afraid of God. And so when it came their time, their opportunity to come meet with God in covenant, they said, no, 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 no. Moses, you go. You talk to him and you talk to us. We, we need that, that distance. And so Israel knew the, knew the actions of God. They saw the behaviors, but they didn't understand the heart. But Moses did because Moses communed with God. He talked with God. He listened to God. And so that's so important. <clears throat> or then you have the, the, Mount, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that story where, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto this mount, and all of a sudden things change, right? And all of a sudden Jesus turns into this, this glory, this white glory, and then Moses and Elijah appears. And the significance there is Moses is the lawgiver and Elijah is largely seen as the greatest prophet. And so the law, the prophets are standing beside Jesus and now God speaks so that Peter, James, and John hear it. And what does he say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Again, they got the law, you got the prophets, but listen to my son, Jesus. And notice he didn't say, listen to my word. And I'm not trying in any way put down the scripture. You don't ever hear that from me. But listen to Jesus. That's the key here. That was the focus for us. And so then in John 10, verses 27, 28, Jesus says, I am the shepherd and the sheep know my voice. They recognize what I say to them. Or then you have the famous prayer of John 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross, where he prays for you and I. I mean, if you've never read that part or never realized that God prayed for you, when you go home, read John chapter 17. Because there's a part there where he's praying for himself, then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us. Think about that. It's pretty special, isn't it? What's his prayer? What's his desire for us? That we would be one with the Father and one with him as he is with the Father. 
that we get that kind of relationship, that kind of communion that Jesus has with the Father. That's what he's praying for. And how can you have that kind of relationship? How can you have that kind of a family when you never hear from each other? It doesn't work that way. So it's, it's critical that we develop the skill and the awareness to recognize God's voice to us. I say that because consider this, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he lived not as God. He is God, was God, always will be God, but he didn't live as God. How do we know that? Well, in Peter's first sermon, Acts 2, he says Jesus was a man. He's emphasizing the, the, the humanity of Jesus, not in any way taking away the, the godness of Jesus or the divinity of Jesus, but he's recognizing and emphasizing that God was a, Jesus was a man. He lived as a man. And so that, what that means for us is that we're not to imitate Jesus in what he did per se, but how he did it. How did Jesus live? And throughout John, the gospel of John, he tells us over and over again. In chapter five and in verse 19 and verse 30 in chapter eight and chapter 11 and chapter 12, over and over, he says, on my own, I can do nothing. Jesus, son of God, but living as a man says, on my own, I do nothing. The words you hear from me, he says, are my father's. The actions that I'm doing, that's my father in me. I'm living in dependence as he's guiding me, as he's leading me, and he's now living through me. So much so when you get to John chapter 14, again, the night of Jesus' arrest, and Philip says, oh, Jesus, can we just see who the father is? And Jesus says, oh, Philip, have you not understood? For the last three and a half years, every day you've spent with me, you've seen the father. Because it's the father abiding in me, the father living in me. But how could Jesus do that without hearing his father. Like, think about it. Did, did Jesus wake up and think, now, if, what would I do as God? No. He only said, he only did what his father told him. And that's important for us. That's significant for us because in John 20 now, after the cross, Jesus says to his disciples and therefore to us as well, I send you as the father has sent me. Right? As, as a father has sent me, which was to live in total dependence upon him, so I now send you. And so Sheila, he's sending you out to now live and trust and depend on Jesus. So Christ and Sheila can bless us, which happens a lot. Amen? Amen. But then think about a verse like Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I don't think it's an accident that, that Robin spoke on that verse a while ago, a few, a few weeks ago, and it's, it's shown up in the last number of weeks over and over again, right? For God is in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure, right? To will, to set the trajectory, to set the course, to, to, to set this is where we need to go, and then to actually accomplish it through you. But think about it. If you can't hear from him, how do you know what his will is? I mean, think about soldiers on a battlefield. If they can't communicate with headquarters, how do they know what headquarters wants them to do? They can't. Now they just got to figure it out on their own. That's not what's happened with us. God hasn't abandoned us. He is speaking to us and he's speaking to us today. So if someone says to you that God won't speak to you, you won't hear from him except for what you read in scripture, then read the scripture because the scriptures say otherwise. Amen? 
All right. But there is someone out there, I guarantee, that is thinking, well, what's wrong with me? I almost feel like a TV evangelist. There's someone out there. I can hear it. Someone's struggling. Robin. So, so I can, I can know, I guarantee someone out there is like, what's wrong? I don't hear his voice. Am I not a good enough Christian? Am I too immature? What's, what's wrong with me? Well, let's address that statement of condemnation because that's what it is. It is pure condemnation that is coming from our enemy. Because what you're doing now is you're taking the glory, the beauty of communing and listening and talking with God, and we're turning it into a standard. We're turning it into a law. Am I doing it enough? How much am I doing? And now I'm measuring myself and my worth and my acceptance based on my ability to hear from God. And we've taken this beautiful truth of grace and love and legalized it and made it into a standard. And we don't need to do that. Let me, let me encourage you with this. Again, I grew up in a tradition that, that, that said that you were not going to hear from God. And then as I got older, I remember sitting in a Bible study and one of the teachers saying, I, I believe that God has put something on my heart for someone in his, in his room tonight. And I, my, my eyes went wide. I'm like, what is this? I can't wait to hear it. Because I couldn't hear from God. But I wanted to. And I would, I would spend, you know, a, a years really. I, I remember one part, I was, uh, I was in grad school, so I had lots of time on my hands because I was a grad student, what do we do? And so I thought, you know, rather than drive to school, I'm going to walk to school, right? This is before all carbon green stuff. I was the environmental, so I was going to walk to school and it was, it was an hour and a half to two hour walk each way. I'm sure it was uphill in the snow and the rain as well, but... <laughs> No, it was the summertime. I'm, I was still a student. So, uh, so I'd walk and my plan was, I'm going to hear from God. And this is going to be amazing. I got an hour and a half, two hours, just me and Jesus. And he is going to reveal things in his word that even, even Paul didn't know. And I was excited about this. And so the whole time I'm walking for, for about two months, I got nothing, nothing, silence. Well, it's not, not entirely true. I got one thing. And it was a verse, Psalm 46, verse 10. And the verse was this, cease striving and know that I am Lord. See, I, I want to hear from God. And that was good and God recognized that, but I was turning it into something and I was pursuing something that wasn't even him. I wanted the knowledge and the wisdom and the pride that would go with that. And God was just saying, Relax. Now, here's the thing. Hindsight has shown me. When I look back on, on where I was 5, 10, 15, 20, even 30 years ago, I go, wow, you know, God was speaking to me. I didn't know at the time. I didn't recognize at the time. But God, you actually were speaking to me. And as I've grown and as I've learned about who you are and I've can, begun to recognize your voice, I can see it now. You know what I'm really confident of? five, 10, 15 years from now, when I look back on today, I'll go, wow, God, I completely missed that. But that was you. I didn't know that was you at the time, but that was you. And so you're learning, you're growing, and you're more mature today than you were before. Give yourself the grace to grow and to learn. Think about it this way. You know, when my kids, when they were first learning to walk, 
right? I mean, this is the reason why kids wear diapers, right? Because when they fall, they need that padding, right? So when they're learning to walk, they're not stable, right? They're wobbly all over the place. They, They take one step and then what? Down they go. And there's, there's me as their daddy who's teaching them to walk. What do I do? I beat them, right? I yell at them and how dare you fall? All the work I've put in and you don't seem to care. Is that what I do? No. What does every parent do in that moment when the child takes the steps and fall down? You walked. You did it. You took a step. That's amazing. We don't care about the fall. They took a step. And see, the thing is, when you're learning to trust God, when you're learning to recognize his voice, he understands and he's excited. You got that one. You missed the other 50, but you got that one. Well done. And you're growing and you're learning in that. So give yourself freedom to learn in the grace of that. But here's the other thing. We don't operate in a perfect environment. I remember in school, they, you know, we'd, we'd have labs or, or even they'd give us math problems. And it was always perfect in the sense that if I solved a math problem and the answer wasn't zero, one, or a hundred, like it wasn't a perfect round number. If I got the answer was 0.72899 repeating, like I knew I probably did something wrong because the, the questions were always structured in that you'd get nice, clean answers. Or in the lab, everything is controlled, everything is perfect, and you get perfect results. Life doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, when you're born again, they don't send you off to a perfect environment to learn to walk with Jesus. Instead, the moment you're saved, you're conscripted into a battle and you're thrown on the front lines day one. No boot camp, no training, nothing. Right away, live fire. Because we have an enemy. That enemy is out there and he's attacking you. Even before you were saved, he was attacking you, but even more so now that you are saved. And so we're learning to discern and discover this voice in the middle of a war, an active war, where we have an active enemy doing everything he can to disrupt those communications. Because that's just smart warfare, isn't it? If you want to uh, destroy an enemy, you cut him off. Cut him off from the headquarters. You isolate them. And that's exactly what our enemy is doing. So the very fact that you are feeling that condemnation is proof of the attacks that you're experiencing today. So again, offer yourself some grace, freedom to learn, freedom to grow and make mistakes. Well, where's this opposition coming from? Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it kind of gives us three basic um, sources of that. And it's from the demonic, which would include Satan and, and his, the fallen angels and all the demons that will try to come after you from time to time. It includes the world. And now we see that in the messaging and the culture and the distractions and the sheer noises and then the flesh, right? And there's examples of all this, right? So you read the story of Daniel and Daniel has this, this crazy dream that terrifies him. And he calls out immediately, God, what's this dream all about? And immediately God dispatches one of his angels and he showed up 21 days later. Because the traffic on the 401 is horrible, I'm going to tell you, right? No, that's not what happened, right? The angel was on his way, but the demonic tried to intercept that, tried to get in the way of that. So we see the example of demonic trying to disrupt the, the communication. The world does it through distractions, 
all kinds of distractions through entertainment, through sports, through, through media, through, through pointless arguments even at times about politics or, or what color is this dress on the internet stuff, right? All kinds of stuff. I mean, it's like trying to tune into a single voice while standing on a casino floor in Las Vegas, right? There's so many bells and whistles going on that you're just overwhelmed by it and you hear nothing. That's what the world's trying to do, to drown out God's voice with just sheer noise. But the flesh is probably the most damaging one because it will take God's message and it'll take God's words, but it'll twist it. And it will whisper lies and fears and doubts and accusations, sometimes against God, but sometimes against you. And if we believe those lies, those lies will always send us on a path towards experiencing death. In fact, I believe that, that when you and I step into eternity for the first time, what you will notice is how quiet it is. You see, I think, I think we've become so accustomed to the noise of the flesh, we don't even recognize it anymore. I remember I went on a trip with my, with my mom and my sister to Ireland uh, many, many decades ago and we were a little kid and, and she went and visited her friend whose house was a former train station. It was the coolest thing. Uh, like literally the, the train went beside their house on like clockwork, like, you know, like the trains did. And, and so it was like at four o'clock, they're having their, their Irish, they're having their scones and their tea, right? That's what they're doing. And at four o'clock, they would just lift up their teacup and then the train would run by and they would stop the conversation and the train would go and the teacup would go down and they would continue on speaking this angelic accent. Oh, Love it, right? So what, what's the point of all that? They had become accustomed to that noise that they didn't even realize what they were doing. It was like background noise. And that's what the flesh has become to us. That constant assault barrage of, of lies about who you are, that I'm worthless, that I'm unloved. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. Not good enough Christians. I don't hear from God. I'm, I'm not like so-and-so. I don't, I don't have this passion, this desire, or this knowledge, or I look this way or have these accomplishments. What's wrong? Just constantly coming. And when you and I step into eternity, I think we'll be shocked because the only one voice we hear, that loving voice of God. But we don't have to wait till eternity to hear it. So, Let's turn our attention to understand how he speaks. In our, in our study of Abraham, we've already seen a number of ways that God speaks to Abraham. There has been audible where God just calls him and he speaks to him and, he, and Abraham has heard that. There have been times where, where, where he has visions and, and there's something he sees that is how God speaks to him. There are other times where he had dreams and, and, and there was a dream that he had that. Pharaoh had that as well, where there was a dream that God spoke to him through. Then there's other times like in Genesis 17 and 18 where God physically appeared and he speaks to him as, as one person to another. Or even at times he spoke to Abraham through others, right? Because he met with Hagar when she was on the run and God spoke to Hagar that she was gonna have a son, name him Ishmael. And then Hagar returned and Abraham knew that. Abraham called the child Ishmael because God told Hagar. So God, God spoke to Abraham through Hagar in that way. So there's lots of different ways that God spoke to Abraham. Now you might be tempted. I know I was at one point going, man, I wish I, was, I lived at the time of Abraham. I wish God spoke to me like Abraham. 
And my answer to you is no, you don't. No, you don't. Here's why. Because we're spanning uh, so far in our study. There's more to come, but so far we've studied, spanned 25 years of Abraham's life. And God's spoken to him probably less than 10 times in 25, 25 years. That's it. God would come and go. But you know what he's done with you and I? I've come to dwell in you, Cheryl. I've come to take up permanent residence inside you. You and I are one. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in your head. I'm in your heart. <laughs> Isn't that a little creepy that way? <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, but couldn't resist. <clears throat> so, so he's with you all the time. And so we have something far greater than what Abraham ever had. We're joined with the Holy Spirit full time. And I think the mistake we make is we see those stories and we see the spectacular, right? Or you, you got Moses in the burning bush. You got the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, and how God wrote on the wall. I used to joke in my counseling office, I left a wall blank in case God ever wanted to write on something, right? Never took me up on the opportunity, but but we want the spectacular. And I'm all for it if he gives it to me. But then there's that great story about Elijah in the cave. And he's, he's down and he's, he's like, God, I'm all alone. There's no one else who's, who's trusting you. And God's like, chill out. There's, there's thousands of others. You're not alone. I just need to hear from you. And he says, okay, step out of the cave. And a giant windstorm goes by. I mean, massive windstorm that's destroying rocks and mountains and it's just massive. But it says God wasn't in the windstorm. A massive earthquake shaking the mountains, the power of it. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And a massive fire rolls through out of nowhere. God wasn't in the fire. And then there was a gentle breeze. And Elijah knew I'm in the presence of God, covered up his face. God spoke to him through a gentle breeze. And I think that's important because too often we want God to get our attention, but we're not willing to slow down and listen because he is speaking to us. We're just, we kind of want to, to run through life like we're just running around with ADHD sort of idea. And then God, you grab me when it's time but never taking the time to say, God, what do you want to say right now? And slowing things down. Well, how does God speak to us today? <clears throat> well, a big one is scripture. Number one on the list, I would say. John 14, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, how he's going to send another just like him, Holy Spirit. And he says, he's going to come and he's going to teach you, bring to remembrance, sorry, bring to remembrance to you all the things that I've spoken and teach you what it means. And I find great courage in that, in the sense that Jesus, the greatest teacher, all he can do is speak. It takes the Holy Spirit to teach. All I can do is speak to you guys. It's the Holy Spirit's job in you to make some sense out of my nonsense, to make it real. But the point here that Jesus is saying, the things that I've spoken to you, he'll bring to remembrance. And so what is God doing? He's given to us in his word, all kinds of things that he spoke to the disciples, to the apostles, and to you and I. And so we study the word, we get to know the word so we can recognize the things that he is saying to us. 
I've experienced that multiple, many, many times, more than I could count, where someone, in, I'm meeting with someone and they ask me a question. I think, Lord, that's a, that's a great question. I'm kind of stumped. And suddenly a verse will pop into my mind out of nowhere. Oh yeah, that's a great answer. And so what was happening? The Holy Spirit was bringing to mind the things in his word, which is why it's so important that we study the word. Now, please understand, as much as I love scripture, there's no life in this book for you. Jesus' own words, by the way, right? He says to the Pharisees in John chapter five or, or six in the gospel of John, he says, you search the scriptures thinking you'll find eternal life, but you will not find it because these scriptures point to me, but you were unwilling. You're unwilling to come to me. So the beauty of the scriptures is not the scriptures themselves, but the fact they point us to Jesus, that's where the glory is found. And so we study the scriptures to get to know his character, to get to know his heart, ultimately to get to know who the author is. Because understand this book is an autobiography by God. He used some ghostwriters to get it out there to print, but please understand it's his words, it's his voice. So the number one thing that I would suggest to you, if you're struggling saying, I don't recognize his voice, I don't know when he's speaking to me, then I would strongly recommend the first thing you do is open up his word. Start reading. Where? Anywhere is a good place to start, quite frankly, but I would probably recommend the gospel of John because the gospel of John reveals the character of Jesus more than any of the other gospels because John's proximity and the closeness that he had to him, you see an intimate portrayal of who Jesus is. But I'd also read some of the letters from Paul maybe Ephesians that we studied a couple years ago or Colossians or, or Philippians and start to read and read slowly. Now, sometimes it's great just to read volumes and read lots. And sometimes it's great to just read a small amount and study it in detail. Just read it. Because the more you're reading, the more material you're giving the Holy Spirit to draw from that you will recognize his voice. So one way he speaks to us is through his scriptures. Another way is through thoughts. He'll put thoughts in your head, ideas in your mind that, that seem to come out of nowhere. And again, this is, this is the one that scared people so much because well, what, if, what if they hear something and they believe that was God, but the scriptures don't, don't agree with that. I remember one time when I was counseling, a lady came in and she sat down and she said, how do I know if God is telling me to leave my husband so I could be with this man over here? I was a little dumbfounded. And I said, well, what, what do the scriptures say? Well, I know what the scriptures say, but what would God say? What the scriptures say, right? So that's, that's the beautiful safeguard in all this is that whatever you hear will never violate the scriptures. Meaning when God is speaking to you, he's speaking to you about love, loving him and loving others as you love yourself. Now that's not sentimental love all the time. It's what's doing what's in another person's best interest. But that's what he's speaking to us is love. And so you'll have these thoughts, these ideas, and they'll bring, pre, bring, bring peace, not a false peace, but a deep, authentic peace that isn't based on circumstances. And more often than not, God is less interested in changing your circumstances as he is, is growing and maturing you. He's more interested in relationships than he is in outcomes. Please understand that. And so when God's trying to fix a problem, chances are he's doing something in you instead. So be very attentive to that. 
So he used scripture, he used thoughts, he used other people. He used all kinds of people. That's the beauty of the church here, right? Why, why I would encourage anyone that has a, a, something laid on their heart. We saw it this morning with Lisa, right? Where Lisa had, had something on her heart and she shared that with us and it was beautiful. But maybe there's something God's put on your heart this week and you're not you know, given a microphone from the start, but you want to share it. Please share it because I want to hear from God through others, through you. So maybe that's what happens. Or maybe it's a, it's a friend or, or, or um, a brother or a sister you go for coffee with or you invite over to your home and they say a word of encouragement or affirmation or they, they point something out to you. We're gonna hear from God from other people. We should expect that. But please understand, it's not just the church he's gonna speak through. It's not just the, the quote unquote mature people that he's gonna speak through. There's a great, great story in the Old Testament about the prophet Balaam and how he was being blocked by an angel, but he didn't know it, riding on his donkey. Until the donkey turned around and told him, there's an angel. Now I'm tempted to use the King James version for donkey. I'm not gonna say it. I'm gonna resist, go look it up. But if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through anyone, which gives me hope, right? But the point being is maybe it's your worst enemy. And God will say something through them to you. Again, we see that throughout scripture. We see it today even where the world will look at the church and say, aren't you guys supposed to be loving and forgiving? Yeah, we are, but we're not. Because we're not listening to God. We're listening to the flesh and we're trying to control things and protect ourselves and so forth. And so God will speak through anyone and everyone. He who has ears, let him hear. There are songs that God will speak to you through. And please understand, it's any song. It's, it's not just the so-called Christian songs, but the so-called secular songs as well. I still believe the greatest worship song out there is You Are So Beautiful. Partly because if Joe Cocker can sing, then maybe I can sing too. But the words to it, it's a song I can sing to God and God can sing to me. And I hear from God in songs and music. Through, through movies. Again, it doesn't have to be so-called Christian movies like The Passion or TV shows like The Chosen, but any movie. Lord of the Rings, great movie. See the character of Jesus through, through King Aragorn. Or Braveheart, William Wallace, and you see the heart of God through someone who's willing to fight and sacrifice for others. I can see God in all kinds of things. Just not Noah with Russell Crowe. I tried. There's, God is not in that movie at all. <laughs> and then there's nature. God speaks to us through nature. I remember one time I, was, I got invited to go speak in Barbados. That was amazing, by the way. I was invited to go speak in Barbados. We spent a couple of days there, Joy and I, and I remember we were, we were down on the, the southern tip of the, of, of the island, and so there's lots of waves, big, powerful waves, and we would go in and we would just play in the water. Oh, look at that wave. Oh, that was amazing. And if you missed it, it was okay because there's another one coming. And we would throw ourselves into it, but you had to respect it because it was powerful. But it was just gentle enough that we we're okay. We we're going to get sucked into the undertow. And while I'm in the water, I had this thought, you know, this is like God's love. Wave after wave after wave after wave, never ending, never ceasing may feel like the tide goes in and out at times, but the waves are still coming, never ending. 
And if you miss that moment, it's okay because another's coming. It's never going to stop. And it's powerful and it's strong, but it's gentle too. So he'll speak to us through nature. There's all kinds of different ways. There's really no limit to the number of ways that God will speak to us. But again, we have to understand we have an enemy and he's going to twist those things, right? He's going to twist God's word. We see that in the garden of Eden, right? Where Satan twisted God's words to Eve or even in the wilderness where he's trying to twist God's words with Jesus. He's going to cast doubt. He's going to attack God's character. He's going to blame God. But here's the thing. Even when he tries to imitate God's voice, he'll never imitate his character. And so we come back to understand what's the character of God? What is he wanting to do? It's always going to be about love, loving him, loving me, loving others. It's not to beat up, not to attack, not to tear down, not to destroy. That's not it. So be aware the attacks are coming. So be willing to test it. The other one I hear from time to time where why this is so hard to hear from God is people say, well, God gave you a brain. Just use your brain, figure it out. And the problem with that thinking is you are now going back to the law. You're going back to principles. Here's one I heard recently that, that if you see something in someone that they can't fix it in 30 seconds or less, say nothing. Never mind, John. So, so that, that's a nice principle, right? Because it's kind of kind, right? So like, you know what? If they got some, you know, lettuce in their teeth, they can fix that. So say something about that. But, but if their hair looks bad, say nothing because they can't fix it in 30 seconds. It's nice. It's kind. It's a nice principle. But the problem with the principle is it's you trying to figure it out on your own. And Jesus didn't always work that way. Here, here's an embarrassing story. Please don't judge me too much. John. Uh, so I was in, again, grad school and someone gave me some clothes and I thought, ah, hey, these are nice clothes, nice shirts and pants and so forth. And so I was wearing the pants to, to school for, you know, a couple weeks, whatever. And then someone pointed out that I was wearing pajama pants and I had no idea. I know, shocking really, but I didn't know. And, and I'm glad that he said something to me. I couldn't fix it in 30 seconds. I didn't have another pair of pants in my bag, but I'm glad he said something. Because if he didn't, I would have been continuing to embarrass myself, but no one had the courage to point it out until he made this offhanded comment. And so the reality is I want you to see is, yes, God gave you a brain so you can listen to him and then say and do what he wants you to say and do. So the brain isn't for you to figure it out on your own. The brain is for you to trust Jesus with it instead. And so was it comfortable for me to hear that I'm wearing pajamas at school? No, but I'm glad he said something and I wish he said it sooner. And if we follow those principles, no matter how good a principle is, there's no life in it. Well, then how do I know when I say something to Jesus or not? You ask him. That's it. You ask him. And this is where, where the trust comes in. And this is where it's so hard that we have to trust that God is big enough to speak to you. He's big enough to, to make himself known to you. Now, sometimes we, we, we say we want to hear from him, but we don't really want because really we're asking for wrong motives. And so James talks about that, right? You ask, but you ask for the wrong motives. You don't really want to hear what he has to say. And so therefore we don't. But if we truly want to hear from him, he will make himself known to you. I promise you that. Now, again, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to you get your signals crossed, your wires crossed, because nobody has perfect discernment outside of Jesus. But it's okay. You fall down, you make a mistake, but Jesus says, but you walked. 
You trusted me. You took a step. And he's bigger than your mistakes. Here's a big one that I think gets in the way. Apathy. Apathy is such a killer. What's the point? God's going to do what he's going to do. So why bother praying? Why bother listening to him? God, let your will be done. Done. Oh man, we're missing it. We're missing it. There's a, there's a really neat story. I gotta tell it quickly. In 1 Kings 22, where uh, it's the end of Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, God's had enough of him. And he, so he says to his divine counsel, his angels, what are we going to do to get rid of Ahab? And one of the angels says, well, I can be a deceiving spirit to provoke him to go to war so he'll die and lose. And God says, let's go with it. So here's the thing, that idea didn't come from God. It came from one of his angels. Now, before you say, well, that's not fair. He deceived Ahab. He set him up. Oh, the story's even better than that. How do we know this happened? Well, because when, before Ahab went to war, he had the prophet say, what should we do? Oh, we should go to war. We should take him down. Great, no problem. And then he invited the, the king of Judah to come up and say, hey, let's get the band together. Let's go to war together against these guys, these, these Midians and the Amalekites. Let's fight them. And, uh, and, and the king of Judah says, well, okay, but did you inquire of any the prophets of Yahweh? Oh, I got one of those guys. All they ever do is give me negative stuff. I never like listening to them. Well, we should. Abs is fine. Prophet, Yahweh, what should we do? Oh, you should go. You're going to win. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Ahab read right through it. That's not true. Tell me the real thing. Okay, I see a vision where God's in heaven with his angels. And he says, what must we do to get rid of Ahab? And an angel says, I will be a deceiving spirit. And I will tell the, provoke his prophets to send him off to war. God told him everything. And Ahab still didn't listen. Great story. But the point of that story is that God invited input. God invites input? We see it in earlier in, uh, in Exodus in Mo with Moses, where God is fed up with these, these Israelites who are, are already days outside of Egypt, wanting to go back to Egypt. And God says, enough, I'm done with them. Moses, let's wipe them all out and I will fulfill the promise through you. Still honors Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but now it's only gonna come through you. What do you say, Moses? And Moses says, oh God, just be patient. I don't want that. And God says, all right, I changed my mind. Let's go with your plan, Moses. He invites our input. How do we do that? We speak with him. We talk with him. Now, please understand, I still want to defer to his plan over mine, but he invites our conversations. And maybe there's some things that he hasn't given to us because we simply haven't asked him for it. Because apathy has set in and we just say, well, what's the point? God, you're gonna do what you want. He says, yeah, and I want you to ask for it. And then I can deliver. Now, maybe he changes his mind. Maybe he gives us what we want. That's not really the point though. The point is, it's a shared experience. It's a shared moment with Jesus. That's what we get. Imagine this. You know, Paul has got that thorn in the flesh and he's convinced that um, there's no point of praying because God's just gonna do what he's gonna do. So Paul never prays. And he just struggles along with that thorn in the flesh. What did he do? He prayed, God, take it away. And what did God do? 
God said to him, God spoke. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses. Here's the point. If Paul gave in to apathy, he never prays and he never discovers God's power in his weakness. And he just goes through life miserable. But because Paul doesn't give in to apathy and he prays, he hears from God, it is encouraged, even though the thorn doesn't go away. Don't let apathy rob you of joy. Don't let apathy rob you from hearing from God. Here's another one running out of time. So it's kind of ironic. We have an impatient society. I just want answers right away, right? We pray, we say amen, and then we, nothing, off we go. And we almost treat amen like it's hanging up the phone call over and out. Kids today, you don't even know what that is, right? Well, what is, why is he hanging up the phone this way, right? Norm understands. <clears throat> All right. Um, sorry, Norm, my bad. Um, sometimes, sometimes we're not ready for the answer yet. Sometimes there's more things that God needs to do in us and other people and with circumstances, he's setting things up. Maybe he's testing to see how badly I want it to hear from him. Who knows? But be patient and wait. And then this last one, sometimes we just don't like what God has to say to us. Story of Gideon with the fleece. Everyone knows that story fairly well. And they, they often use it in their vernacular. They say, well, we should th- uh, I'm not sure what to do. I'm gonna throw a fleece out there and see what God does. Please understand, the fleece was not to discern what God was wanting Gideon to do. He knew exactly what God, what Gideon want, or God wanted Gideon to do. Gideon just didn't like it. He wanted to go to battle. He's a coward by his own admission. He's afraid. And God says, I want you to go fight this big army. And, and he's looking for a loophole now. He says, okay, God, if I throw a fleece out there and the fleece is wet and everything else is dry, then I know it was your voice. So God did it. He knew exactly what it was, which is why he said, plan two. Now we're going to reverse it. Fleece dry, grass wet. God said, okay. And finally Gideon's like, okay, I'm getting the point here. He knew exactly what God was saying to him. He just didn't like it. And sometimes God says something to us and we know it's God. We just don't like it. Because I've been out, um, my neck is on the line, like Gideon. Or I'm going to miss out on something. Or I'm not going to be in control. Or who knows? We just don't like it. But again, when we sang it this morning, please understand, whatever God is asking of you and I, it's for our good. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you and they're not to harm you, but to prosper you. Nowadays, you quote that verse and every amateur or even professional theologian says, oh, wait a minute, that verse is actually for us today. It's for the Israelites. And therefore we shouldn't quote that verse. Dumb, dumb. You're too clever by half. Like you're missing the point. Yes, that verse was for Israel at that point and at that time, but it's much more than that. You know what that verse does? It reveals the heart of God, a heart that has not changed. He's still for you. And his plans are not to harm you, but to prosper you. Not materially, oh, far greater in your heart, in your spirit, in your life. How do I know that? Romans 8, 28, 29, where God causes all things together to work together for our good. Not to harm you, but to prosper you for your good. What's the good? That we be conformed into the likeness and to the image of Jesus Christ. So whatever he's asking you and I to do, you may not like it, but understand what his goal and intention is. 
It's for your good, Tim. It's gonna shape and form you into the image of Christ. Trust me with it. Trust his heart. So if you're struggling with that, please understand his love. If you're struggling with not even having a passion yet to hear from God, then I'd pray this, pray that God would light a fire inside you, that God would create a passion within inside of you so that you would have a hunger for him and the relationship with him. And the next thing to do is spend time discovering the significance of God's love for you. Because I guarantee you, the more you see that love, the more passionate you'll want to be to hang out with him and to commune with him and to listen from him. So you have freedom to fail. You have freedom to make mistakes. If you hear from him, test it out, talk with others and gain confidence in what you're saying. Give God permission to correct because again, you don't have perfect discernment, but at least give him a chance to correct rather than just sitting back and doing nothing. Step out in faith and watch God work. There's nothing greater in this world than watching God work through the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you for life in you. We thank you for all that you've given to us and, and you have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone. Instead, you are in us and you're with us and you're speaking to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you, not just this morning, not just this afternoon, but each and every day as you lead, as you guide, as you reveal what is our will, your will for us in the moment, and then how you're going to do it through us in that moment as well. May we develop such a close connection to you, our Father, knowing that you will be glorified. We will benefit in experiencing life in you, and the world will see the light and life of Jesus through his church. May it be. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.